chapter 16 of Sketches from Church History, reading and comment on it, obviously. Uh, and chapter 16 covers the life of the Czech reformer, Jan Hus, or John Hus, as he's uh, generally known in the English-speaking world. Hus was easily the most important of the primers, uh and had uh, quite an effect on several of the reformers who came after him. Uh, in particular, of course, his most famous, uh, the most famous person that he had an effect upon, would be Martin Luther. But it would be wrong to uh, say that uh, Luther picked up where, where Huss uh, left off. It was more the point that uh, men <clears throat> took, uh, or already were finding things in the Bible that were not in keeping with the teaching of the church, and they saw the depravity of the church. We're going to see uh, some of the moral reformers uh, within the church tomorrow when we uh, we talk about or one of the most famous of those moral reformers, uh, Savonarola, who did not do much in the way of doctrinal reform, but certainly saw the the, uh, uh, the moral abuses occurring within the Roman Catholic Church at that time, uh, which were great. But in the meantime, well, let's uh, get started with chapter 16 of Sketches from Church History by S.M. Houghton. I'll be reading and commenting on that. Uh, although it occurs to me I have not brought my glasses with me, so um, yeah, these are bad pair. So chapter sixteen, oh, that's M. Houghton's sketches from church history. But before we begin, let's go ahead and pray. God, our Father, I pray, Lord, that you would bless today's reading of chapter sixteen of. Uh, sketches from church history, that you would give me clarity and insight, that you would help me to speak uh, clearly as well so that people would hear and understand. Help us also to remember that uh, there is nothing new under the sun and that the devil has seldom had to change his playbook. Therefore, the way that he's afflicted the church in the past is the way that he afflicts the church in the present. So just as the church became addicted to power and wealth in the past, we see that happening uh, in the health and wealth gospel, for instance, uh, today, the same kind of uh, evil desires for worldly influence and so on are, are always present within the, uh, the church. And Lord, we know that until Christ comes back, we're going to have to deal with tares and wheat. But we do thank you that you have given your church uh, men of bravery, men of insight, men who loved your word and who are willing to proclaim it, come what may. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry of John Huss and for his bravery. We pray, Lord, that you would give us that same Hussite spirit, uh, a desire for reformation and a, a willingness to withstand all for the sake of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Chapter 16, Sketches from Church History. John Huss was the most important of the forerunners of the Reformation on the continent of Europe. He was born of peasant stock in or about 1369 in the village of Husnitz, uh, from which he seems to have derived his name, in Bohemia. During the boyhood of Huss, the books of John Wycliffe were reaching Bohemia and having strong influence there. In the providence of God, in 1382, King Richard II of England married Anne of Bohemia, who had a remarkable love for the Word of God, and this assisted uh, the writings of the English reformer to enter Bohemia. Huss never attained to the grasp of truth that was characteristic of Wycliffe, but he longed to purify the church of his day and to bring it back to New Testament teaching. 
The father of John Huss died when his son was still very young, so his early education was under the guidance of his mother, and she, in her poverty, was helped by a rich nobleman whose heart God moved to pay all the expenses of the young student's schooling. Such were his scholastic gifts that rewards came thick and fast, and by the time he was 34 years old, he had been appointed rector of Prague University. The world seemed to be at his feet. But it was not God's will that Huss should content himself with academic fame. As a faithful student of the Word of God, his mind became troubled about many things. He continually humbled himself for sins known only to himself and the Lord. He even became troubled by the fact that when he played the game of chess, he was liable to lose his temper when beaten. He read the writings of John Wycliffe and, in addition, was keenly impressed by two cartoons. One of them represented the Lord Jesus wearing the crown of thorns and the Pope wearing a crown of gold and clothing of rich purple and silk. The second showed a picture of the woman to whom the Lord Jesus said, Thy sins are forgiven thee, and on its reverse side the Pope was depicted selling indulgences to the people. The truth which these cartoons so eloquently proclaimed opened the eyes of Huss to see clearly the sad condition of the church. In Prague was a chapel known as the Bethlehem Chapel, which had been erected for the special purpose of giving the people the opportunity of hearing the Christian message in their own tongue instead of in Latin, which, of course, few of them understood. In this chapel, Huss became the preacher. Without spoken earnestness, he exposed the superstitions of men and the sins of the clergy and fed the hungry with the bread of life. Many who saw the pale, thin man with serious countenance and were acquainted with his pure, strict life were persuaded that he was a true messenger of God. But the Archbishop of Prague opposed him strongly and denounced both he and Wycliffe's books. These books were collected, and with his own hand, the Archbishop set fire to them in the courtyard of his palace while a loud te deum was sung by the clergy present on the occasion. Uh, just taking a break here. Hey, Mark, uh, I appeared at the Yours is Epic. Why, thank you, brother. That, that's very kind. I, I don't do a thing and it just grows. So I, I can only give uh, grace to uh, or give thanks to God there. I term it uh, once in a while. But uh, anyway, um, yes, uh, beards add years to me and give me the uh, at least the appearance of gravitas. Um, <clears throat> and hi, Debbie. Good to see you, too. Going back to uh, the life of, uh, of Wycliffe, uh, not Wycliffe, Wycliffe was yesterday, going back to the life of John Huss. <clears throat> Huss was asked whether he was prepared to obey the Pope's commands. Yes, he replied, so far as they agree with the doctrine of Christ. But when I see the contrary, I will not obey them, even though you burn my body. The word contrary, as here used, is important. It was Wycliffe's teaching that if the Pope or clergy or any other men contrary Christ, then they were the enemies of Christ and must be resisted. To contrary Christ was an expression much on the lips of Wycliffe's followers, for obedience to Christ was at the very heart of their teaching. In the outcome, the Pope excommunicated Huss and placed the city of Prague under an interdict as long as it sheltered the heretic and his adherents. Huss, therefore, moved to another place, but the persecution continued unabated. In 1414, the General Council of Constance was held, and Huss was summoned to appear for trial before it. The Emperor Sigismund promised him a safe conduct, so he set out for Constance, fully trusting in the justice of his cause. The council was a very splendid affair. It included the emperor, kings, magnates of the empire, prelates, bishops, and priests. A month after his arrival, Huss was arrested and imprisoned in a dungeon close to the outlet of the city sewer. Soon his trial began. 
but matters were complicated by the sudden flight from the city of Pope John the Twenty-Third, fearful lest an inquiry should be instituted into his intolerably wicked life and works. One of the things to remember was that the church uh, at this point in time was uh, was absolutely corrupt. Um, many of the uh, many of the the princes of the church, these bishops and archbishops and cardinals, and even the Pope had showed up in Constance for this uh, uh, for this synod of the church, we might call it, uh, council of the church, um, with their prostitutes with them, their, uh, their concubines, their illegitimate children, all of their retinues, we would in modern days have called a posse of, of uh, followers. Uh, who lived off of them and so on. These were not, not men of any, any moral standing whatsoever. They were deeply corrupt men. Uh, and the, one of the issues that was being dealt with at the, uh, at the particular council was uh, the issue of the split in the papacy. Uh, you remember we had, uh, talked about the Avignon papacy, the time when uh, the French kings were in control of the papacy, and also uh, the, the, the terrible corruption uh, of that present pope, the one who we just read about fleeing, that the Council of Constance, uh, hey Robin, had the, and hello Tyrese, uh, had the um, audacity to bring charges against John Huss, who was actually a holy man. So you had, uh, as usual, the unholy trying the holy, uh, and of course finding them wanting, or finding him wanting, and desiring to put him to death. Another note was that uh, Sigismund, the uh, the Holy Roman Emperor, was uh, was not happy about the idea of taking away. He'd given a safe pass to John Huss to travel to uh, uh, to Constance to this council, um, and uh, technically uh, that should have gotten him there safely, allowed him to answer the the charges, and then allowed him to return back to his home in Prague. Uh, but the uh, churchman argued strenuously that an oath made to a heretic was never was never binding. Uh, so Sigismund felt no, um, well, Sigismund actually did feel remorse, and indeed for the rest of his life. But uh, Sigismund was persuaded to, um, uh, to withdraw the safe conduct, and thus Huss was arrested. It was a foregone conclusion that he would be put to death. It's rather like uh, in Alice in Wonderland with the Queen, you know, verdict first, trial later. The, uh, uh, the sentence uh, was already determined before he arrived in the town. They were going to get rid of, uh, of Jan Huss. So um, later on, however, another emperor would give safe pass to another heretic uh, by the name of Martin Luther to go to the Council of Worms. This emperor, however, would keep his word, and uh, uh, Luther would not be arrested and would be allowed to leave. In any event, when the trial of Huss opened and the reformer complained of his imprisonment, despite the safe conduct promised by the emperor, Sigismund hung his head and blushed shamefacedly. It soon became clear that the condemnation of Huss had virtually been predetermined. When he began to speak, he was shouted down and was quite unable to make himself heard. At one point, he was accused of the monstrous blasphemy of proclaiming himself a fourth person of the Holy Trinity. Let that person be named who has given evidence against me, said the reformer, but no reply was forthcoming. In vain, he protested his belief in Orthodox Christian doctrine. Sentence was passed upon him. He and his books were to be publicly burned. Kneeling down in the presence of all, Huss prayed, Lord Jesus, pardon all my, enemy, uh, all my enemies for the sake of thy great mercy. Thou knowest that they have falsely accused me, brought forward false witnesses, and concocted false charges against me. Pardon them for the sake of thine infinite mercy. The Archbishop of Milan and six other bishops were appointed to perform the ceremony of taking from Huss the office of priest. 
This done, the words rang out, We commit thy soul to the devil, and I commit it to the Lord Jesus Christ, cried the prisoner, as they hurried him to the palace of, a bur of burning. A crown of blasphemy was put on his head, bearing the words, This is an arch-heretic, and depicting devils tearing his soul. Falling to his knees, Huss uttered repeatedly, Into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. For, the Christ, uh, for Christ strengthened him mar uh, marvelously. I am willing, he said, patiently and publicly to endure this dreadful, shameful, and cruel death for the sake of the gospel and the preaching of thy word. Wood and straw were piled up around him and, and lighted, and as soon, and I'm sorry, as he continued to call loudly upon God, soon his, soon his life was extinct, for he choked in the smoke. And I do apologize. Um, the glasses that I have here are not very good. And I'm actually, I'm doing that wonderful thing that you, you do. Uh, if you're, you're farsighted, you push the book as far away from you as you possibly can. And then you seek to do on the, uh, on the run interpretation, trying to guess what the words were. And sometimes, unfortunately, my guesses are, uh, I realize they're, they're not right. Soon life was extinct. For he choked in the smoke. The officers then gathered up the ashes, dug up the very earth around the stake, lest contamination should remain, and flung them ashes and earth into the river Rhine, just as a few years later, Wycliffe's ashes were to be cast into an English stream. The Bohemian delegates to the council returned from Constance, eager for revenge, for in their opinion, Huss had been murdered before long many of the nobles of Bohemia took the lead, armed thousands of their fellow countrymen, and under the command of Ziska, a one-eyed man, they were ready to use force to achieve their freedom. In history, they were known as the Hussites. At Prague, they demanded religious toleration and liberation of their friends who had been cast into prison. When this was denied, uh, then they threw 13 of the ministers or members of the city council out of the windows of the council room. This was known uh, historically, incidentally, as the defenestration of Prague. I did not realize it uh, until uh, a little while after I... What is this word, defenestration? It means literally to be thrown out a window, so the defenestration of Prague. A war lasting 15 years now broke out. The Hussites had their headquarters on a mountain which they named Tabor. The Emperor Sigismund, however, had at hand at least 80,000 men under arms. Even so, Ziska and his force seemed to be invincible. But in 1421, Ziska died, and a sharp contention arose among the Hussites, some of whom were prepared to compromise with the papacy. So the wars ended. But many of the Hussites retained their faith. First called Taborites, they were later known as the Bohemian or Moravian Brethren. And of them, we shall read more in a later chapter. Hus was the Bohemian name for Goose, and sometimes his foes used this fact to deride him. But on one occasion he replied to them, Instead of a silly goose, the truth will hereafter send forth eagles and falcons with piercing looks. This came about in the 16th century Reformation. Uh, Luther was known as the swan who had come from uh, Hus the Goose. In any event, um, uh, Hus lit a flame by his death that was not soon extinguished, although he was not uh, it was not yet time for the reform of the church. We need to th remember that things move according to God's schedule, not ours. Oftentimes we want uh, what the, um, uh, the Brownites wanted, or Brownists of the uh, early 1600s wanted, reformation without tarrying for any. They were a group of uh, Puritans in England who were tired of waiting for the Church of England to reform and determined that, uh, that they would do it themselves. 
Uh, iconoclasm has a certain, especially when you're a, uh, a young man, it has a, a, an allure to it. Let's just smash the, uh, the stained glass window instead of teaching people why um, stained glass Im windows with images of Christ are a bad thing. Uh, why uh, the icons that we set up, all of these uh, images and so on, are, are bad in the church. Um, I, smashing icons has a certain violent appeal to it, and it does get the, the job done very quickly, but it's not always God's uh, schedule. Uh, and generally speaking, whenever uh, Christians have fought for reform in the church with violent means, uh, it has not succeeded. There have been a, a, a few um, examples of violent revolution under Christian arms uh, succeeding, um, but very few. Uh, Holland is one of the only ones. We could point to the English Civil War, which will occur obviously 200 years from the point where we're uh, reading at the moment. Uh, where the Puritans will win a victory against Charles I and eventually behead him in order to bring about a Puritan Republic, in essence, within the UK under Oliver Cromwell. Uh, but it doesn't last. The Royalists come back to, to power with a, uh, with a vengeance and they wipe out most of the gains that the Puritans had made during the Commonwealth period. Uh, we'll see that later on, obviously, as we read. But generally speaking, uh, the Lord wants his gospel to advance about via the preaching of the word, not the unsheathing of the sword. We are not Muslims. Uh, we do not um, call men upon men to repent or perish in the sense of killing them ourselves. We warn them, obviously, of the judgment to come. We tell them the truth of the, of the scriptures, but we do not, uh, we do not go ahead and and put them to death ourselves. So we are to advance the gospel by the preaching of the word of God. In any event, Huss, although uh, unsuccessful in his own attempts, was to be uh, very important in the Reformation, obviously, that was to come in the, uh, uh, in the following century, the 1500s. All right, any questions about Huss and uh, his reform, anything? No. All right. Well, then I'll bid you adieu. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about an Italian reformer, a man by the name of Savonarola. Uh, one of the things that we need to remember about Savonarola is that Savonarola wasn't so much as a doctrinal reformer as a, as a moral reformer. Uh, also, another man who, uh, who went down the wrong roads in terms of reform, uh, and as a result, his own uh, Reformation efforts were not quite successful.